We have two scripture readings for today. The first, the gospel lesson, comes from the Gospel of John. Last time I preached on this text, I remember describing a spirograph. Do you know those little gears that children sometimes color with that fit together and you can put the pen in a certain spot and it will spin? You can spin it all the way around. The way this language describes this mutual indwelling of Jesus in God and all of us together participating in the triune God is reminding me of that very circular language, all twisting and wrapping around into one larger circle. Let us listen together for the word of God. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me and I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory which you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. In the Gospel of John, there are many theological passages like this one. This is the, toward the end of Jesus' prayer, his discourse before he leaves his disciples, says goodbye to them, but promises to send them a comforter. And the Gospel of John is so very different in style than the other Gospels, than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, is written by the same author who wrote the Gospel of Luke. And it's very different the way this gives us a story. Not deep theological discourse or prayer, but a pretty dramatic story. Let's listen together. One day, as we were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners a great deal of money by fortune-telling. While she followed Paul and us, she would cry out, These men are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. She kept doing this for many days. Now, even though she's right and the words she is saying are true, can you imagine going about your day with someone following behind you? These men are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. Nonstop, my goodness. So Paul, very much annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. So she is now freed, liberated from this spirit, which allowed her to see the future, but which also kept her enslaved to her owners because, as it said, they were making a profit off what she knew. So when her owners saw that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. When they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, these men are disturbing our city. 
Who was actually disturbing the city, would you say? But they say, these men are disturbing our city. They are Jews and are advocating customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to adopt or observe. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates had them stripped of their clothing and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had given them a severe flogging, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. Following these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, just as they have set someone free, they are now imprisoned. At about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was an earthquake so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors wide open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself since he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. That is, of course, what you would suppose, right? Wouldn't you imagine that they would have fled? But Paul shouted in a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. The jailer called for lights, and rushing in, he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the words of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. At the same hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds, and then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. He brought them up into the house and set food before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. May God add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the understanding of God's holy word. Now, I love this story, but I have to tell you, I love all good escape stories. Do you? I love the movie Great Escapes, where you see predator and prey, and the prey always escapes. The bunny fleeing from a hawk and diving into a little hole just in time. There's a wonderful one that went viral on YouTube of a hatchling, a little iguana baby, who's actually larger than any of the snakes pursuing it, but there are just dozens and dozens of them and it looks a few times like it's caught but every time it manages to wiggle away at the last moment are any of you Shawshank Redemption fans it's one of the only movies that I could watch again I love and I know even those of us who have never been physically confined can relate to a really good escape story and don't you always root for the one who's trying to get away I think it's a natural instinct, but I think that God has in all of creation encoded this desire to burst forth and be free. I think of this as peony week. It's one of my favorite weeks of the year, and it amazes me that in a peony bud just this size, all of this beauty and glory can burst forth from it. It doesn't look possible that it could fit. And I think to that moment of creation, if it was like the Big Bang, the way people describe that all of that pressure compounded and then suddenly all of it 
bursting forth with the stars and galaxies far flung. I think that freedom and escape is somehow written in written on all of our hearts. And I think it is that way because God also identifies as the liberator. When God gives the Ten Commandments, his whole reason behind why he is able to tell the people that this is what he wants them to do is this. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. God also has a fixation with freedom, with wanting to set people free. So I love this story of the potential jailbreak. I love the story of these two freeing this woman who has been enslaved and now no longer any use to her masters. She goes free, and then they become imprisoned. But by this miracle of Jesus, who we know is the actor in this story, Jesus wants everyone to be free, has them released, and yet they don't leave this poor jailer. I wonder what would have happened since he was so quick to think he needed to kill himself. I wonder if his life was then on the line for having lost the people in his charge. But they don't let that fate befall him, and it's through their faithfulness, through their trust that they wait, that he ends up being converted and finding his own freedom in Jesus. So... Jesus is called Lord so often throughout the Bible. And funny enough, our new century hymnal, which was published in the early 80s, took out, I think, almost every, maybe every mention of the word Lord in all of the hymns. It changed it. And sometimes the poetry doesn't really line up right. But there was a movement in Christian, we're getting a head shake from some of the members, some of the more musically inclined. <laughs> it often doesn't line up right. But in the 80s, people became deeply uncomfortable with calling Jesus Lord. And I don't know if it's because that's a very masculine term. It wasn't lady, of course. It was Lord. I don't know if it's the hierarchy. But I think that early Christians who called Jesus Lord knew exactly what they were doing. And they were very intentional about reclaiming this word. They lived in a time of great oppression. And I found this wonderful book, Freeing Jesus, any of you can borrow it if you would like, by Diana Butler Bass, who we've spoken of before at church a number of times. She's the one who talks about believing, behaving, and belonging, that Jesus' followers first belong, and then the belief comes later, much like happened with this jailer, that first he was included in this experience of belonging with people who waited and told him not to harm himself and let him see this miracle for himself. He came to a sense of belonging with them and then came to believe. But Diana Butler Bass has just published this book last year, and this is what she says. Early Christians often proclaimed their faith in three words, Jesus is Lord. Historians refer to it as an early creedal affirmation, but it was really more of a slogan. At its simplest level, the Greek term kyrios means lord or master, and it quite literally meant the one who owns you. Slaves called their masters lord. I think this is why we wanted to drop this word out. But it was already pointing out this fact and subverting it. 
In a world where millions were held in slavery and millions of others lived in poverty and powerlessness at the bottom of a rigid social hierarchy, claiming Jesus as Lord announced one's liberation from oppression. Can you see how it does that? How this subverts the language? Jesus is Lord made sense in an empire of slaves. As submitting to his lordship amounted to spiritual freedom, especially in the new community called the church, where female slaves held leadership positions and Roman social status was upended. Baptism was the rite of initiation into this egalitarian community. All Christians were baptized into their new master, Jesus, according to Paul, who includes an early baptismal creed in his letter to the Galatians. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer Jew nor Greek, no longer male nor female, no longer slave nor free, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. Being one and being free are the same. When you join this community, you join a community of freedom. So she goes on that those who professed Jesus is Lord refused to say Caesar is Lord. Jesus is Lord means far more then Jesus is my personal master. It means if Jesus is Lord, then Caesar is not. And nothing else is. Nothing else in all of creation can hold power over you when you claim that Jesus is your Lord because Jesus sets you free and invites you to be one with all others. Christianity and slavery have a very, very long and troubled history and relationship. And through the Council of Churches of Greater Bridgeport, I've been participating in some of their sessions on uh, the history of the early, of the the American church and slavery. And I want to share with you this quote from Harriet Tubman. God's time is always near. He gave me my strength and he set the North Star in the heavens. He meant I should be free. And this is despite what many Christian slave owners were telling their slaves and taking this liberating concept of Jesus as Lord and then re-subverting it and making people oppressed again under one another. When in truth, they actually voted. At one point, they said what the question came before American Christians, shouldn't baptism free people? If somebody was baptized, shouldn't they automatically be free? And the Christian churches voted no that even baptism would not make someone free. So I want to think with us today about what it is that we need to be free from. And I just want to pause and mention for many people, there are things that we as individuals need to get free from. And that's, that's valid. And that's one way to look at your life. But I feel like this week, it's really important that we reevaluate what it is that we as a nation might be enslaved to and whether we as a nation need to get free. And I think this week, one of the things that has become apparent again, it it has become apparent before and continues to again and again, I think that all of the children have left the room and gone to Disciple Road. Is that right? With this, this school shooting in Uvalde, Texas, I think it's become clear to us again that what America would claim as Lord so often is guns and violence. And so often what that is tied to 
is greed and profit. I think what we need to get free from is our obsession with guns and violence. I don't know how it is that we think that the freedom of people to buy the kind of weapons of war that can kill so many people in moments is considered an important freedom over and against the freedom of children to not need to have lockdown drills in schools and the freedom of children to grow up, the freedom of children to not need to be afraid, the freedom of teachers to not need to be trained in what to do in the event of a school shooting, and school administrators to learn how to block the front doors. We have a very confused idea of what it means to be free. I think we might even idealize our Constitution when we refuse to address the kinds of change that we would have to to make these things stop. I think we can make the Constitution and the Founding Fathers an idol and refuse to challenge them. And what would it mean for all people to be free from acts of racism and hatred? For people to be free in their churches, in their grocery stores, and not be afraid of this kind of attack? America is unique in this way. Last week, our Revelation passage described that new city that would be heavenly, and the tree that was on the riverbank. It says the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Could we be healed? Could we be free? Often it's poets who have the words... And so I want to share with you this poem by Amanda Gorman. Everything hurts. Our hearts shadowed and strange. Minds made muddied and mute. We carry tragedy, terrifying and true. And yet none of it is new. We knew it as home, as horror, as heritage. Even our children cannot be children, cannot be. Everything hurts. It's a hard time to be alive, and even harder to stay that way. We're burdened to live out these days, while at the same time blessed to outlive them. This alarm is how we know we must be altered, that we must differ or die, that we must triumph or try. That while hate cannot be terminated, it can be transformed into a love that lets us live. May we not just grieve, but give. May we not just ache, but act. May our signed right to bear arms never blind our sight from shared harm. May we choose our children over chaos. May another innocent never be lost. Maybe everything hurts, our hearts shadowed and strange. But only when everything hurts, may everything change. Friends, what is the cost 
of staying enslaved to these things? Are we like the jailer? The doors have broken free. We could actually be free, and yet we might choose in an instinct to fall on a sword. Do we look more like the oppression of the Roman Empire than like friends of Jesus? And I want to close with another passage from Diana Butler Bass's book. She shares something that I never thought of before about Jesus and liberation. I am the door, says Jesus. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. She writes, the door is open. I had always imagined that the door was a one-way proposition. You went in and there inside the sheep pen. That is, Jesus, what, what, that is what Jesus was describing in the story about the door. Some describe it as, I am the gate. Inside that place you were safe, saved one of the flock. I never noticed the claws will go in and out, indicating the door might swing toward the world as well. Perhaps the spiritual life was not about finding the right box or a bigger cage, but wandering into pastures, following the light, crossing the bridge, not hemmed in by walls, but walking in the open. How had I confused a cage with a journey? The door was open. Friends, may we be brave enough to trust that Jesus is set free and we can be set free. May we be brave enough to go through that open door into new possibilities. May it be so.